my name is Adadana Shepherd, and I'm the regional manager for Africa at Village Capital. Village Capital is a venture capital firm that finds, trains, and invests in early stage entrepreneurs, addressing challenges in various sectors, including energy, education, fintech, agriculture, and healthcare. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Adidana. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Now, you probably know better than most how much of a hubbub a recent report Village Capital put out has caused in, you know, in Africa's tech scene. For those of our listeners who aren't familiar with that report, uh, and I'm sp- just in case you guys have put out some other ones, just so we're straight, I'm talking about the one um, uh, that addressed investor bias specific to to India, but more to my, you know, to our interest for the sake of this discussion, uh, investor bias uh, within the uh, fintech uh, investment scene or st- fintech startup investment scene in East Africa. So tell, tell me a little bit about that report, uh, fill us in, and, and perhaps uh, give us a sense of the thinking that went into, you know, the why oh, that, that report was necessary or that research was necessary. Sure. So the title of the report is Breaking the Pattern, Getting Digital Financial Service on, Services Entrepreneurs to Scale in India and East Africa. And we partnered with, um, with the Gates Foundation on this report. Uh, we met with their financial services for the report team and realized, we realized that we had similar questions about the growth of the fintech space in these regions. Um, as a step back, it's important to note that Village Capital works uh, our headquarters in D.C., but we have three emerging market teams. Uh, one is based in India, one is based here in Nairobi, and one is based in Mexico City. Uh, so we have Latin America, we have Africa, and then we have India. So we wanted to look at the two, the two spaces in East Africa and India as they're quite well known in terms of fintech, and you know, all Google News alerts will tell you that it's a great dawn of financial technology and, and opportunity. Um, but we also noticed that, um, you know, why aren't companies getting to scale, or why aren't more companies getting to scale? And so after that meeting with, with the, the Gates team and realizing that we had similar questions that we wanted to answer, uh, we decided to go ahead and partner on, on this study. You know, before you go a little further, I'm curious to know why, uh, you know, the, the Bill and Melinda uh, Gates Foundation might be interested in, in the outcome of this research? So they have a financial services for the poor um, group within, within their organization. And financial inclusion is something that uh, they're really interested in and passionate about. And so it was a natural fit. So I'm sure going in, um, you guys had intelligence or at least data to show or to almost preempt what you thought you'd find. How surprised were you by the findings and how different were they to what you might have expected to find? So there are probably two key statistics that is causing the hubbub that you're referring to, right? And that is uh, that 72% of venture capital funding on the continent in the past two years have gone to three companies. Um, And then the other figure is uh, 90% of disclosed venture capital money in 2015 and 2016 uh, went to startups with one or more European or North North American founders. 
Uh, and obviously, those are the two for background for listeners who maybe didn't read the report or haven't kind of caught up, been caught up in all of the online reaction. Those are the two things that kind of stuck out the most and got you know tweeted the most and wrote written about the most on various blog posts and discussed, including on your podcast. And so it was great you know to hear a discussion about that. Uh, but the report really is so much more than that, and it also focuses on solutions and how exactly we we address these issues. To your point about whether or not we could see the signs or see this coming, um, our organization is very, very passionate and intentional about identifying our own blind spots and self-correcting. And we want to be a part of the solution in addition to calling out the, pro- the problem. And so we had a sense that this was a trend. Uh, and additionally, I think this is something that, you know, being in East Africa or in Southern Africa where you are at the moment, these are things that we talk about amongst ourselves. You know, maybe we don't say it out loud, or, we don't, or maybe some people do say it out loud on Twitter or on, on media or what have you. Um, but I'm sure it's in many uh, tech WhatsApp group, uh, you know, people discussing, you know, where is this money going and who is it coming from and why is it going to only certain players. And so it's something that I'm sure we've discussed and to have the numbers distilled maybe was the difference. But I think a lot of us have had that feeling for quite some time now. So I'm going to ask you to um, to unpack how a VC like Village Capital might use this information to self-correct. But before we get to that, um, I want us to put, uh, I would like you, if you could, uh, to put into two buckets the, the reaction to, to this research uh, on mostly online, uh, but also in conversations you, you've no doubt had since the report was published. So in one bucket, uh, give me a sense of some of the more constructive feedback, reaction, uh, et cetera, that you had to this report. And perhaps in another bucket, uh, you know, point out perhaps some less constructive, if not uh, perhaps totally um, misplaced or misguided reaction. I think we, we talked internally about, well, first of all, as an organization, we do revenue sharing. We do uh, straighten convertible debt. Um, I think we're really looking for ways to address um, different financing mechanisms that can really be of use. Uh, so well-priced, affordable uh, affordable debt, and we're looking at that. And if there are any other partners out there that are interested in in that as well, then you know, obviously reach out to me, and, and you know, we'd love to discuss with it as a team. Um, and also understanding, okay, so if aside from the, the financing that might not be the right fit, but in terms of you know, human capital was also was also mentioned, and so that uh, that has really helped us further. Uh, believe in some of the human capital work that we're doing. Uh, we have uh, three solutions. Two are in uh, beta testing. It's a job board and a job fair um, for, for startups looking for talent. And then third, which is in alpha testing, is um, uh, an open source uh, an open source human capital curriculum for, for startups in emerging markets um, to work on their human capital strategy. So that's the more constructive. Um, and also, I think the discussion that you had on your podcast was incredibly, you know, episode 104, uh, which is where um, I believe the study was first brought up um, on the African Tech Roundup. So I think that was a really good conversation as well, and it was really great to hear your takes on it. Um, as for <laughs> not constructive, um, well, I, th- I, think, I think it's natural to see that, those numbers, and to get angry and to be upset and I totally get it because maybe you are one of those 
funders who, or one of those rather entrepreneurs who go to these pitch competitions and you go to these events and you see the same names keep, you know, they're, and maybe you don't even think their product is that great or you think you can do something better or whatever the case may be. Um, but as I think was mentioned on um, the last episode of your podcast that discussed this, you know, it's a game, right? This is, this is how things, and you can walk and chew gum. You can play the game, but you can also work to improve um, at the same time. And so I saw some things about, you know, foreigners come to, to, to the continent and they've failed elsewhere, and that's the only reason why they're building here and they're building successfully. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's entirely fair either. And just because, just because a startup has one or more um, foreign or non-African co-founders doesn't make them less worthy or doesn't make them less qualified. It's just a data point to say that this is a team that now has access to multiple networks and that's probably why you can see the money going to them because of pattern recognition bias. The fact that you will, in lieu of potential, go for a pattern. This person went to a certain school, this person can, you know, we have the same inside jokes or we have the same kind of cultural background, we can get to know each other, it's very easy, and you fall on that as opposed to doing the quite expensive and intensive due diligence process which is required um, if you're an outside investor that's really serious about, about doing the work. So that would probably be the less helpful because that doesn't really, saying that foreigners are not qualified doesn't really move the deal, it doesn't fix anything. And so just to jump in on this debate so that, you know, this isn't an exercise in sort of trying to hang you out to dry <laughs> or turn you into some sort of target. Um, no, really, I, I see two, two extremes and, and, and I'd like you to sort of comment on, on how I see things. On, on the far end of the spectrum, I see this data or, or research being used to fuel a populist agenda, a sort of uh, fundamentalist sort of Africanist agenda as it were I can see how that could be problematic and also just not constructive not pragmatic I've spoken to people who feel very strongly that this just validates their beliefs or, or something that they've believed has been quite obvious for some time and and therefore this is time for us to as a people you know uh, you know just buckle down and do our own thing on the other spectrum, some of the conversations I had with some fairly well-meaning angels, I've even had you know, a conversation with a VC uh, recently, and there's a problematic pattern in their trying to explain this away or almost rationalize it. One, one, a VC told me recently, I mean, I can't blame him for, and it was a him, uh, and he was a white male. Uh, sorry to put him out like that. Uh, he was European. Just for context, I think it's important. Um, he says you, he can't he can't help but have a preference for people who have a, 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 an established network. And then you know, in my in my talk with him, I, I tried to make him realize that a limited network is now becoming a proxy for perpetuating these stereotypes or perpetuating a, a situation that you know is non inclusive. And really, more to your point, is actually bad for business. So, to me, those are the two extremes in this debate, and I, I don't know what you make of that. So, to, to comment on the latter because that's what you just said, and it's fresher in my mind. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, I think that's completely, that's completely off. And Village Capital's tagline is democratizing entrepreneurship. So we as an organization would not use a network as a proxy because that, 
that's inherently against what we believe in terms of where talent is and how to find talent and support talent. He went as far as saying that that's why when he's invited to mentor startup founders on the continent, he encourages them to, before they do, you know, alongside everything they need to do to, to basically validate their business ideas and really just be solid uh, startup founders, etc. Uh, alongside that, he encourages them to, to basically build their networks as quickly as possible. Um, and I, th- I think that's, uh, he didn't say as much, but I guess that's, that's to say, you know, make a lot of friends abroad. But I also, exactly what I was about to ask you, Angela, is what exactly does that mean? <laughs> like, does it mean just add random people on LinkedIn? I mean, what, what does that, what does that do for you? And a network is only as good as how well you can leverage it. If you have a hundred people in your contact list and you only can talk to two because you only know two really enough to call them and ask them for a favor or call them and ask them for advice, then what's the point? You know, the, the number doesn't really matter in that case. Um, so I mean, so I would say that, that that's quite off. To however, I will say though that, and this is probably why money goes in certain ways, is that, and again, people have discussed this, I'm sure, ad nauseum on their WhatsApp groups, but one would argue, or you would hear this, that, but expat founders know what to do. They can put an operations model, operations model together, they can put a business model together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that might all be true if we went to nice schools and what have you. Um, but there's more out there than just that. And so we as an organization, I mean, we help with business plans and business models and operation models, and it takes time. So if you're going to come in from Europe or the U.S. and you don't really want to get your hands dirty and you don't really want to take on an advising role and you just want something ready-made for you to go, then sure, you're going to ask someone to build up their network and then come find you. But that's not how we operate as as a firm. So I can, I see where he's coming from, but that's that wouldn't... Or it's not that I see where he's coming from. I I understand what he is saying, but I, I would disagree with it, and it will only perpetuate, you know, this problem. I mean, seventy-two percent of VC funding on the continent in two years going to three companies is not a symptom of a healthy process. So, give me uh, give me a sense of what a healthy process ought to look like, and. And maybe in answering that question, from the vantage point of, say, Village Capital, who, I mean, and you're obviously new in your role there, uh, relatively new in your role, but given your vantage point uh, as as an investor, um, where are the bottlenecks? Are they, as many feel, you know, myself included, you know, right at the bottom, like we've got a foundation issue, I believe, uh, in terms of uh, an unestablished angel culture? And some would say... We have less of a problem around the Series A area and then virtually nothing going on beyond, you know, relatively speaking. So where would you say we have the biggest problem and what does a healthy, what does a healthy scenario in our context look like? So for me, a healthy scenario would be even just taking a step back. I mean, you can see bias in, in, in terms of who's on the teams, but also let's look at where the money goes in terms of countries. So, you know, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa <clears throat> are, of course, your, your big players, but there's, some, there's, hap- there's things happening outside of those countries in North Africa, in Central Africa, I mean, where, you know, nobody talks about Mali, nobody talks about Chad, and maybe that's to say there's, I, I don't know, maybe there's nothing to talk about, I'm not sure, but the fact is no one really mentions that. Uh, and so that, for me, is, is its own 
separate bias outside of you know worrying about Europeans and North Americans. I mean, what about the continent itself? Um, but I think what you've outlined in terms of, of where those bottlenecks are, I think I I would I would tend to agree with you. Um, it's kind of toward the bottom, and then there's a bit of a gap, and then there's like no noise toward the top. In terms of the the focus, uh, village capital typically adopts in terms of investments elsewhere. Are you guys looking to mirror what you've done in other markets where you've been perhaps more visibly involved? Do you guys get involved early, around the middle? You mentioned certain pipeline development initiatives that you guys have going. Um, how key to your overall business development cycle are those sort of things? I would say it's very key, and I would say getting in early is also very key for us as an organization. Um, so it's also, well, this might be a question that you're going to ask in terms of self-correcting, but one of the, the ways that we correct for, um, for this implicit bias and pattern recognition is that we run sector-specific workshops. And in those workshops, we'll bring 10 to 12 entrepreneurs together, and many have applied, and we internally go through the list and select 10 to 12. Um, and then those 10 to 12 go through an investment readiness model. So that is everything from, you know, vision and purpose, you know, all the way to what does, I mean, maybe they're not necessarily ready for an exit, but, you know, with our, with our internal curriculum, that's kind of the spectrum of what we take them through step by step. Um, and so it's from the early level to a potential what could happen in a few years. And then after the workshop is done, I mean, basically this doubles as a due diligence process that the entrepreneurs do on themselves um, or for themselves as well and rating their fellow entrepreneurs. And because it's a sector-specific workshop, every entrepreneur has a very specific or has an understanding, an intimate understanding of, of, of their work and can also bounce ideas off of the, net, the mentors that are present and also the folks that are in the room in terms of their fellow entrepreneurs. And then at the end of that, of that workshop, you have... Um, entrepreneurs voting on the top two who will receive investment. So they are choosing. They're effectively the entrepreneurs are the investment committee. Um, and that's very different, I think, from what you would see in other um, VCs on the continent. Or in fact, it is completely different. Um, and a part of that investment readiness starts at the ground level um, in terms of who we take on, but also taking them from those first initial questions that perhaps they've already thought about, but distilling it in a different way, um, that through the course of, of, of the program gets them to, to level up as, as a startup and get ready for the next step. In terms of the, the self-correction thing, um, was there some sort of embarrassing uh, lawsuit filed at the, at the firm that made everyone realize, whoa, hang on, you know, we need to be thinking a little differently to everyone else. Or maybe this is something that's directly linked to uh, the mandate that was set when, you know, when the fund was started or, or you know, or what your, what your LPs buy into. No, so it was not as a result of a, of a lawsuit. <laughs> I, can, I can confirm that. So our, our founder uh, recently wrote a book, and it's just been published, called The Innovation Blind Spot, Why We Back the Wrong Ideas and What to Do About It. So this is very much the internal thinking of the organization and what we each, um, as team members, have bought into and want to, to work on through our various practices, whether it's in the U.S., in India, in Mexico, or here in Kenya with you know, a pan-African vision. Well, also, this, something to be said as well is that this bias problem 
um, is not just in, in, uh, on the continent. So even in the United States, 50% of, of global venture capital goes to three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts. And by three states, we all know what that really means. It's Silicon Valley, it's New York City, and it's Boston. So this bias thing in the conversation is a bit, it's not just where we're sitting today. And so it started off with solving uh, the U.S. context uh, and then grew toward an international um, vision and practice, if you will. Um, but we've maintained as an organization, and you can read it, and, and, and I have read the book, and I'm not just drinking the Kool-Aid because <laughs> I had to read it, but it actually does lay it out quite plainly. It's a, it was a very great read um, in terms of the vision for the company and the various kind of data points that helped get it there. Um, but that, you know, we, we miss out on great ideas because of, of the internal incentive process for, for venture capital firms, for due to, you know, people in place in terms of power dynamics and bias, whether it be gender or race, etc. Um, and then purpose. So in the U.S. context, and perhaps maybe here, that, you know, can you, can you separating profit and purpose, but you don't have to necessarily. Um, and so that, that was, that's really been, Inbuilt um, to the organization, so no lawsuit. I, I can, <laughs> I can confirm. Your your, your response actually um, brings to mind a question I want to ask a little later about um, how you guys go about thinking about impact because um, it's also a touchy a touchy subject uh, in these parts. And and given what you've just said, there, there seems to be quite a commitment to the, to the idea of impact, uh, not, not in its in its negative sense, uh, as I'll, you know, I'll unpack a little later on. Um, but uh, indulge me first um, with a, a slightly more personal question. You are, you're a person of color. You've lived a lot of your life in the U.S. and and as you've uh, sort of uh, preempted the the bias issue is huge, if not super topical right now, given all the political you know rumblings in that part of the world um, and how diversity is, is both a swear word in some quarters and and this huge cause to fight for in others. Uh, give me a sense of what you're experiencing now, grappling with on some level similar issues here on the continent as a person of color, but not local. What sort of perspective do you perhaps have being in your position that someone like Andile, being an African based, at, you know, in Southern Africa or counterparts of yours who have been born and raised, say, in East Africa in the context of where you are now? Give me a sense of what's different for you or how perhaps you see the world that might be different. Um, whew, okay. So, um, well... I think the earlier part of your question in terms of what perspective does it give you, I would argue that it doesn't quite, well, it does give you perspective, but more importantly, unfortunately, it gives you a double dose of exhaustion. <laughs> so, you, you know, obviously, I care about the United States, and watching the news from afar can be quite a maddening proposition, um, even before, you know, the recent events of, you know, what has happened. Um, you know, no place is perfect. We have our struggles. It is, it is, that can be exhausting. And then you have, um, you know, you have, I think having double black con consciousness can be a very uh, exhausting proposition. Uh, so there's, so my family's Ethiopian and uh, born and raised in the US. So I have both the, the blessing and a curse of, of belonging to two places. 
Uh, and the course is that you care about two places and you care very deeply. And so you want to see uh, two places succeed. Uh, and in terms of the Ethiopian context, like both as a country, but also as a continent, you know, taking a more pan-African lens and wanting, wanting us all to win, which might sound very cliche, but um, I think that's truly how I feel. And if you ask a lot of diaspora folk or returnees or whatever the term du jour is of, of that, of the, of the, <laughs> or, you know, re-diaspora, diaspora squared, there's a lot, there's the many words for, for our, you know, quite random, unique crowd. Um, you know, and so yes, I think the exhaustion, although I laugh through it, it is tough. I mean, you, you know, you, you see whether it's scandals here or whether it's scandals in the U.S., you're like, can't we just, why can't we figure this out? This can't, shouldn't be this complicated. Um, but I think in terms of the, the work and in terms of the perspective of race and the work, um, it's, it has a pan, my work has a pan-African heart but a global mindset. So I, I lived in China for, for a good amount of time. I worked in South Korea for a good amount of time. My senior thesis research was in Nicaragua. Um, I, I dabbled in work in Ethiopia as well for a newspaper at one point. So I've, my mindset or my kind of outlook is quite global in nature, but there's a certain um, heart behind it. So I think that's where my unique perspective, well, I wouldn't say it's a unique perspective, but that's where my perspective kind of coalesces around, around the two and how can I leverage my networks and how can I leverage what has brought me to this moment and to this role um, to help entrepreneurs get to the place that they want to be on the continent. Because quite frankly, we have a huge jobs problem. So that is not going to be solved by saying that, you know, European or North Americans are washed up and they came to Africa to try again or they came to go to have a nice story for their Harvard Business School application, which, hey, maybe that was a nice gap year story. I, I don't know, <laughs> but the point is, is we, have, we have to figure this out and we have to figure it out quickly. Look, as, a, as an African who's lived abroad and, and had to, of course, I was much younger and had to uh, endure re-entry, as it were. <laughs> um, and I don't want to say that in a way that makes it sound like, you know, uh, I wasn't happy to come back. But um, as someone who's experienced that, I, I do have some sort of empathy towards um, towards people in your position and also just how sophisticated the the prejudice towards people in your position has become. You know? And at the same time, I say that knowing full well that um, for every, uh, you sound like a, a really nice person, everything I've researched about you suggests to me that you're the real deal and everything. But for every one of you I've met, I have met the, the people who've used a quick safari <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the continent as a, as a means to advance an agenda. And I suppose... Here's, here's a question, you know, one, one of the last two questions I want to ask you. There is a perception that you can come to Africa and fail, or at least the, the wider perception that America is so into this lean startup idea, this fail, f- fail often, fail fast thing, that you, you could probably take a whole bunch of people's money in the U.S. This is a perception, a, a widely held perception, that you could, you know, raise funds for a promising idea, um, and and lose it all and come out of that process, you know, actually more employable and really with more societal currency than you than you had when you went in. And I think that's also what causes Africans to feel a certain way 
about um, foreigners coming here to dib dabble. Not only do they get the lion's share, it appears, of all the resources to, that are so desperately needed to succeed, and and it also appears for many of them that they're not invested in 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 a long term success within our ecosystem. And then if they fail, well, they always have home to go to, and in fact, they're far more viable as as sort of professionals in terms of their prospects when they get home. Is that, is that in fact true? Failure does make for a good TED talk, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> that, that being said, I, I hesitate to be, maybe I'm part of the problem too, I hesitate to be that harsh. Um, maybe, most of all, I think also maybe I have my own bias because I know a few folks, both, well, since I'm based in Nairobi, both Kenyans who have started companies and non-Kenyans who have started companies who do not have an intention to fail and who come into work every day and leave work very late at night and do it day in and day out, rinse, wash, repeat, because they don't want to fail. And it's not so much that, oh, they can always go home. Or, I mean, I'm sure, yes, fine, some boarders can always go home. But there are people here who are not Kenyan in Nairobi but are very invested in their ideas and really think that, you know, they're onto something. And in some cases they are, in some cases they're not. But, I, I mean, granted, maybe I just filter out people who I think are, you know, in the group that you're discussing. <laughs> that you're discussing. So for me, I see, and again, this is my pattern recognition bias now, I'm seeing the people who are really working hard and have no intention of gaining social capital from a future TED Talk on how they failed in Africa. I mean, they really want, their preference is to have a TED Talk about how they succeeded in Africa and how everyone can succeed in Africa if you do X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's both on both sides, both Kenyan and non-Kenyans alike. I think it's fair for, for certain, some of our listeners to hear that in that way and not to apply the very bias we complain about to sort of painting everyone with the same brush. I think it's quite important that we, we point that out. And, and also, you know, kudos to you for, for you know, outing your, your own biases, which we all have. I don't think it's, it's constructive to think or to work towards a situation where bias does not exist. I don't think that's such a world such a world exists but i do think it takes some commitment and it's certainly a worthwhile endeavor for us to identify bias uh, admit it openly and then all work together to to sort of counteract its negative impact i'm i agree with you it's it's very difficult to to ask someone to see what they don't see but but what but what you can and you also maybe sometimes don't want them seeing something you know, maybe it's okay to be ignored by, by certain characters. But, but, but what I will say is that at least understanding where your blind spot is and having people on your team or people around you or people in your networks, people who you trust, to help you get access to that blind spot or who can see that for you, that's the difference. Okay. So final question uh, has to do with impact. Uh, Given everything you've said, given what I, you know, what I've read up about Village Capital, given you know what you've shared right now, you guys are no doubt trying to make the world a better place. Cue happy music, uh, My Little Pony and Friends, and the whole thing. You, you must be clued up, or uh, at least well or familiar with some of the uh, some of the the reasons why the notion of impact, at least when it's poorly defined or, or vaguely defined, why that rubs certain people up the wrong way here on the continent. So give me a sense of what impact means within the context of maybe for yourself, a village capital, within the context of understanding that if we're not pragmatic about the fact that however good you're doing in the world, if it's not sustainable 
and perhaps even commercially viable, however good it is, it's probably pointless and, and counterproductive. Is that is that a notion you buy into? If so, why? So if, sorry, say the last part again, that if you... However good we do in the world, if we don't find a way to make that good we do sustainable, um, and if you're a capitalist, you, you'd add uh, commercially viable, if, if not profitable, um, it actually is rather pointless in some regards and at worst sort of counterproductive does does that sum it up well or not i don't want to be i don't want to to say that i see both sides i feel like i should be i, I need to get i need to give you one i know i know i know um i clearly i prefer financial viability and financial sustainability um if, right. if it's a business you can't run on on aid forever, or you can't run on uncertain funds forever. Um, I have heard the arguments about, you know, impact investing is effectively the new aid. Um, I would disagree with that. Um, it might have, well, I, it might have similar, well, let me help by saying at the far end of that spectrum, I've spoken to an investor recently who said, whose take on it, actually quite an enlightened investor, I have to say, because we came to some agreement about a lot of things. So um, what his take was, is on the far end of everything is money is money, funding is funding. And he, his, his take is when people say that, when they say it's the new, when they make that, the assertion you just made that, you know, impact investing is the new funding, really their issue is far broader than, you know, the pragmatic issues of finance helping make things happen, right? When people make that assertion, often what this, often it's in the context of, or oh, indirect, uh, a punch they're trying to, to, to throw at, uh, structured the, the the faultiness of structured economics globally, for example, you know, and not necessarily the pragmatic good any money really can do for a sound idea, regardless of who and what it comes from and in what form, whether it's called impact investing, whether it comes in the form of a grant, whether it comes in the form of so at the far end of that sort of spectrum of appreciating this idea is is people who. To be fair, I, I've allowed to, to think of this issue as, as more than just a binary debate. So I'm kind of letting you off the hook, but there you go. So I don't, I don't know what you make of that. So at the far end, on one end, you've got someone who says this is the new neo-colonialist agenda, yada, yada, let's stay away. And on the far end, someone is like, well, let's be pragmatic. Money is money. Let's just be smart about which money we take on what terms, etc. cetera. Uh, but money is money. Yeah, so and yeah, I'd like to I'd like to think that I'm woke, you know. I'd like to think that I I'm, I'm hip to these things, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dare to say that sometimes I need to take a nap, and I'm gonna take a nap on this one. I think we have I think we have some huge challenges, and I think I would not say that we're at the stage of where less is more. I don't think we're there yet. Maybe when we get there, we can start. Really distilling some of these topics, but at the moment, you're not taking a nap, though. That's a stake in the ground, <laughs> I can, and I can appreciate where you're coming from. Uh, we've got far too much to do to to let um, uh, ideological debates sort of stop, get in the way of too much. 
Yeah, I'm happy to have, uh, it's not to say that I, I would shut down conversation when it comes to this and not engage. Not at all, please. Uh, I don't want that to be the takeaway here at all. Uh, but what I am saying is that there are many challenges, and even, not so much even on this continent, but globally, we have a lot of challenges. And so if we can find really good, well-meaning people who are trying to build something great, and if we can support them, and if that happens to be a grant at the outset, or if that happens to be a VC person at the outset, or if it happens to be someone else, or an angel, or et cetera, then I would take that. I would take that right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. If I wake up from my nap, I'll let you know on another episode. But for now, that's, that's, that's where I am. Anytime you wake, give us give us a shout. Um, you know where to find us. Uh, even if even if you literally wake up one morning and 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 shoot off shoot off a, a voice note to include in a show, Adedana Ashebe of Village Capital, based in Nairobi. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. This was it was fantastic. And yeah, anytime you need the Village Capital take or my take, let me know. I'm happy to send it. Happy to wake up and send you a voice note. <laughs>